Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Trustee Table, a new podcast series from NAIS that provides insights and information for trustees, board chairs, and school administrators on critical governance and leadership issues. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance, and today I'll be speaking with Jack Creeden. Jack is a longtime independent school leader who has written and spoken extensively on governance, strategic planning, and the relationship between the board chair and head of school. He has served as head of Fountain Valley School, Providence Day School, and Chadwick School. Earlier in his career, he held administrative positions at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Rutgers University. He also chaired the NAIS Board of Trustees and was a member of the National Commission on Accreditation. Most recently, he authored the soon-to-be-released NAIS Board Chair Handbook. He has an undergraduate degree from the College of the Holy Cross and his MA and PhD from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Jack, thank you so much for taking a seat at the table today. Thanks, Anne-Marie, for the chance to talk about board governance, and special thanks to you for all your help and assistance and close reading, uh, helping to produce and publish the board chair handbook. I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, you are way too kind. It was absolutely a joy to work with you on that project, and we had so much fun. It was definitely a great way to spend, what was it, six months? (laughs) Um, So in the upcoming board chair handbook... Um, You actually spend a great deal of focus on the board chair head of school relationship. So what makes this partnership so critical to effective governance? When we look at the research literature and speak to heads of school and chairs of boards, it quickly becomes uh, apparent uh, that the trusting relationship between the head and the chair is the starting point for effective board governance. Each party has a specific set of responsibilities. We know the chair must lead the board in making major decisions for the school in terms of its future, its financial viability, and significant initiatives tied to mission. We also know that the head is responsible for the overall operations of the school, supervision of the faculty and staff, development of the curriculum, and delivery of of high-quality teaching and learning uh, for the students. On the most effective boards, the head and the chair respect one another's responsibilities and honor those boundaries. You know, I'm so glad you brought up this idea of boundaries. This is a critical aspect in all relationships, I think, but particularly for the head and the chair, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, there are countless situations where those boundary lines get blurred just naturally in the everyday business of a school. And the importance of a trusting relationship and open communication between the head and the chair in those times come into sharp focus. We recommend in the handbook that the chair and the head have a conversation before the year actually begins about their respective responsibilities. They need to talk about how they want to communicate and interact when the boundaries are blurred. They should discuss how to review difficult issues thoughtfully and as partners, because we know working together, they will make better decisions than if either acts alone or independent of the other. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So given the important role that trust plays in this partnership, what are some ways new chairs can build trust with their heads of school? Great question. It's important, we know, uh, from the research and the practical uh, experiences, for the chair and the head to get to know one another outside the formal setting of a board or a committee meeting. Uh, A trusting relationship is based on knowing the other person, what motivates them, and how they think about the, just the plethora of issues related to schools, to teaching and ed- educating children and adolescents. The new chair should plan to have lunch or coffee on several occasions with the head before the school year begins. 
And sometimes, uh, you know, they should just agree not to talk about school matters, but to spend the time just getting to know one another better. Spending time learning about one another's histories, motivations, and philosophies related to education helps to shape the relationship and, and it provides a foundation for increased understanding when differences occur. And we know that's bound to happen. So very true. And I know that board chairs and heads are often so busy, but carving out time to build a strong foundation for this relationship is really key. Yeah, you know, many chairs and heads find it helpful to discuss how each understands the mission statement and where they see it playing out in the daily life of the school. That's a very engaging conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, although it may feel awkward or contrived, the chair and the head should review one another's responsibilities and discuss how each can support the other. For example, how will the chair react the first time a parent comes to complain about a classroom issue, a field trip planning gone awry, or a grading problem? Uh, What are the chair's responses that honor the responsibilities of the head, support the head's leadership, and yet not appear to the parent to be dismissive or, or disinterested? In the same way, one should ask, how can the head support the new chair in building a positive board culture and encouraging a thoughtful discussion of topics at the board level and including dissenting views? The head should be an ally in recruiting a diverse and inclusive board that the research shows makes for more effective governing practices and decision making. You know, Jack, I really like these examples of how the head and board can support each other, as well as some realistic scenarios that they most likely will encounter. So what are some of the most common areas for the head and chair to partner on? Can you give us some more examples of that? Sure. You know, a a simple and a very good place to start the partnership model is in the planning of a board meeting, however often they occur. Both the head and the chair want to make effective use of trustee time. So making sure the materials for review are distributed well in advance of the meeting and then using a consent agenda when appropriate are key strategies. And the chair and the head should talk about that. Mm-hmm. They, need, they need to agree on the importance of limiting or eliminating, as mm-hmm. we recommend in the book, any reporting out by staff on matters presented in the pre-meeting materials. They both need to help educate trustees to avoid wandering into the operational weeds, as we call them, and instead to keep a focus on future planning, major initiatives, or in the best cases, generative thinking that's aligned with mission and will help the school move to new levels. Uh, The review of a budget is another area trustees can sometimes get bogged down in. The chair and the head should work together to make certain that the school administration is fiscally responsible. There's no excuse for being otherwise. And the board wants to refrain from, and with his or her colleagues, refrain from line item review and questioning of expenditures. The chair and the head need to be in agreement that the allocation of scarce resources are in alignment with the school's highest priorities, affirmed by the board, and then implemented by the head and the faculty. Finally, another example, the chair and the head can work together to plan the the annual board retreat, often held before the beginning of the year. It's a great time for all the board members to review their roles and responsibilities, set overall goals for the board and specific goals for trustee committees, very important. Then the chair and the head can lead a discussion at that retreat about mission and how the major initiatives of the year support and advance the mission of the school. And the trustees will see the chair and the head working together 
uh, to implement that that agenda. I love that that kind of focus on alignment there as well in terms of goals aligning to the mission and the major initiatives as a school. I'd also like to add that the board and head could also partner around board education. I really like how in the handbook you describe ways that they can do this. And as you said earlier, to minimize board meetings becoming those, you know, passive sit and get experiences for trustees that, you know, we're so desperately trying to avoid. Yeah, there, there, there are any number of um, good professional development opportunities that the head of school uh, knows about working together with NIS uh, that can that she or he can bring in to those board meetings. So uh, setting aside time for uh, that board education is is so important. And the, the if the chair and the head agree upon the importance of that in advance, then they can plan it for a meeting that's two months out or three months out right. or four months out. And and you're absolutely right. Board education is the key to getting on the path to effective governance. So a few episodes ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. David Brazier on the importance of culture, and you spend an entire chapter of the board chair handbook discussing this as well. So how can the head and chair jointly promote a positive board culture? Boy, this is such an essential component to effective board governance. So thank you. Thanks for asking about it. According to the literature, this may be the single most important task for the chair and the head to undertake. As the leaders in the school, the chair and the head set an important tone and establish standards for how the board will conduct its business. And Emory, when we speak of board culture, we're not talking about Robert's rules of order. Those are applied in certain circumstances. Or we're not also talking about just creating a well-organized agenda with with, um, specific limits on time. Culture is the set of unwritten assumptions that guide board behavior. Who talks? Who listens? Who doesn't seem to participate or at least voice their perspectives during the meeting? Mm -hmm. An effective board culture is characterized by a diverse group of members who bring differences in their, their personal histories, professional experiences, and understanding of teaching, learning, and social emotional development for children and adolescents. Kathy Trower, who uh, she has sat at your trustee table, wonderful uh, podcast with her. Thanks again. Thank you. Talks about the importance of boards being collegial, but not congenial. That's such an important difference. Mm -hmm. The chair and the head need to encourage trustees to ask one another hard questions and to find a level of comfort with civil disagreement on issues. On a board with a positive culture, for example, trustees ask hard questions, and as Kathy Trower suggests, Seek to make sense of the data uh, that tell the board something about the school before rushing to constructing a solution to a pressing problem. The board culture should reflect the same values that drive the school's mission statement. So if the school believes in social justice and inclusion, global citizenship and character, those qualities should be evident in the composition and so important in the behavior of the board. In, in recruiting new, new board members, the chair and the head can emphasize the importance of finding future trustees who bring those diverse backgrounds, perspectives, and an ability to ask questions when they may disagree with others. And again, another rich example of that partnership model. 
And, you know, that's really the hard part, isn't it? I mean, board chairs need to be able to manage these different and often volatile dynamics effectively. And, you know, that takes a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of self-reflection to be able to do that. So one last question that really gets to the heart of this chair-head partnership, which is how should the chair and the head approach the head's evaluation? Um, another, another key question. Thank you. Well, from the start, we recommend that both the chair and the head see the evaluative process as formative, helping the head improve on the work she or he is doing for the school. The head, in this case, should create a set of annual goals that are aligned with the mission of the school and, and serve to meet the major initiatives the school is undertaking. She or he would then share that first draft with the chair. And the head is looking for both the chair's and the board's input on that on that list of goals. Mm-hmm. Some boards have a head evaluation committee where the chair will share the head's goals, add feedback from the trustees, and then finalize that goal, goal statement with the head. The trusting relationship now uh, between the head and the chair is fundamental as that goal statement, complete with suggestions for the board, is finalized. And it's essential for the head and the chair to agree on how the attainment of goals will be measured, not just a collection of pretty pros. In some cases, goals are quantifiable, such as reaching a number for the annual fund. In other cases, say in building increased trust in the community could be a goal, the chair and the head should discuss what, what qualitative indicators might be used. You know, it's not uncommon for the chair and the head to formally review progress on their goals at the, at the midpoint in the year. In addition, as the chair and head have their weekly or bi-weekly meetings, the chair should be offering feedback to help the head continuously improve. And then, close to the end of the year, the chair should send a formal evaluation to the trustees, similar to, again, we recommend this, similar to the online instrument sent to trustees for their own self-evaluation. The results mm-hmm. of the head's evaluation can then be shared with the board and the head at the end of the year in order to identify areas of strength and and areas for improvement. And the data from the end of the year evaluation can then be included as the head and the chair begin the next year's goal setting and evaluation process. And Marie, this this takes time to do this process well, but the positive results in terms of formative assessments, positive board culture, uh, it's just another example of how to strengthen that trusting relationship between the chair and the head. Exactly. And, and I really like, again, how you focus in on that idea of formative assessment, that it's just not a, a one-off experience at the end of the year, that the board chair and the head are in, in constant communication around progress toward goals and, and how to reach them and just being in that, that constant sort of reflective space as they're looking at goals and assessing them. Jack, thank you so much for your time today. I know that the insights you've shared with us will be very helpful to our members. And congratulations again on the upcoming publication of the Board Chair's Handbook. It was, Again, it was an absolute pleasure to work with you on that project. Thanks to you. Thanks to NIS. And um, I hope we've been able to offer some good support and advice uh, to our, our colleagues. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.